Well, as I said, Happy Father's Day because actually the way the Scripture works now today couldn't have been better. It would probably be the best text that one could ever take for a Father's Day. And I didn't plan it out at all. So therefore, it's the providence of God, isn't it? It is really good. It's, uh, it's about God being the Father and we the children of God. The revelation to the believer that God is His Father is in a sense the climax of the Bible. So says J.I. Packer. Uh, I would put it in this kind of terms. To be a child of God and to realize that is the sunum bonum of the Christian life. To know you are a daughter, a son of the great creator, sustainer, Redeemer, and we can call Him Father. That's amazing to me. You know, the more you think about it, I mean, He is the best example of a Father because He is the Father. And uh, God puts it into men to be fathers to the children. And for the most part, the general principle is, is that they raise them correctly. Uh, we know that always doesn't happen, and we know that uh, you know some people have had fathers that really were not real fathers to them. Some are very dear, but the thing is, we know that they are kind of illustrations of who the ultimate father is, and he's one we can trust in totally. So, you know, knowing you're in the family of God. Uh, it really, and knowing that you're a child of God and you can call Him Father shows the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Because they never saw Him as Father. They saw Him as Yahweh. They saw Him as the Creator. But they never really saw Him as Father. And you remember that Jesus taught them a prayer. And they said, teach us how to pray. The disciples did. They asked that to Jesus. And what did He say? He said, pray in this way. And what was His very first word? Our Father who art in heaven. Our Father to a Jewish person? That would have been sacrilege. That would have been horrible to say that. But in all honesty, that's really what He is and who He is. We've got to be reminded, you know what the main purpose of Romans 8 is? To give you the great comfort and assurance of eternal life forever. Romans 8 starts off with, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't know, Tony, you might have been here. It's been weeks and weeks since you've been out, but we might have been on that verse when you were last here. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Do you remember being an 8? That's how long we have been in it. And we're going to take our time because I'll tell you what, this is one of the best places that you could ever be. You want to have something really positive today? It is right here. I'm not going to be condemning you because I can't. I can't ever do that. God's Word uh, can convict us, can it? But this passage today is the, uh, really the best privilege and position that you can be in. It is incredible. And the main purpose of chapter 8 is to make us know that we have assurance of salvation. You know what the ground of that assurance is? 
Well, we looked at it in the last couple of weeks. It's the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. The life of God in the soul of man. Wow. You know, and then last week we looked at mortifying the flesh. Since we have the Holy Spirit in us, we can mortify the deeds of the body, the flesh, to kill it. And what gives us the desire to do that? Could, uh, could an unbeliever desire to mortify the deeds of the flesh? Well, in some senses there might be certain habits that he wants to kick and he really tries hard and he can be successful at it. But honestly, they don't really have a desire to mortify the sins of the body because Christians are the only people in the whole world that desire to actually do that. You say, where did I get that desire at? Why do I want to quit certain things that don't honor God? Because of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. He leads you to think and act the way that would be representative of Christ's righteousness. Uh, there's a new theme now that we develop coming off of that mortifying the deeds of the flesh. That's right in verse 13 as he goes into 14. Not only knowing that we have absolute certainty of our salvation, knowing that in terms like this is something now that's new that's introduced here. Divine sonship. We're sons of God. Divine sonship. Is there anything more wonderful than that? To know who He is and who you are in Him. To realize that we are sons of God. So the concern that Paul has is here that everybody would know and realize that they're sons of God. They're believers. And so that's our intro for the day. Let's read the text in Romans 8, 14-16. through 16. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Let's pray. Father, what a tremendous text here. What a promise. What an amazing thought that we have in realizing that You are our Father. We are Your children and You have more care and concern and love than anybody could have for us, even our own selves. You care much, much more than that. And Lord, with this kind of assurance, what better thing to do on a Father's Day is to talk about the Father. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, this section is uh, truly uh, comforting to me. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. If you're being led by God, 
you can know that you are a child of God. By the way, my title is, How Can We Know We Are Sons of God? I could have just put Sons of God, which I originally put, but if you read this text, it will give you confidence that you are a child of God. If you are a child of God, right? As he starts off with with here, Anybody who is in Christ, anybody who has the Holy Spirit, is led by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it may not feel like we're being led by the Spirit, and sometimes we don't act like we're being led by the Spirit. But are you being are you being led by the Spirit of God? Yes. Even in our worst moments, He's there, and He's going to lead us into the direction that He wants. So it's it's a tremendous thing. We're being led by Him. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean that He takes us and He forces us to come to Him and do everything in the right way? Does He ever force us? No, He doesn't do that. He persuades us, and I'll put it this way, He gently persuades us to the best things, to the most honorable things. He leads us in that gentle persuasion. Hey, look at Psalm 32, 8 and 9. And we'll get just a little bit of wisdom from the psalm writer here. 32, 8 and 9. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Don't be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. So what does he do? Verse 8 says, he instructs us, he teaches us in the way we should go. We get counsel. His eye is upon us. He wants the absolute best for you all the time. For eternity. Take that to the bank. He wants the best. He never tries to steal anything from us, does he? He wants to put in, though, what is the best. I like that verse. How about Isaiah chapter 30, verse Your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right or to the left, that's the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, who's telling us, do this, do that, do this, go here. He is directing us every step of the way. He's teaching us, isn't He? So, uh, he's persuading. Now, how does he lead us? How are we led by the Spirit of God? Well, you have to start with this. Otherwise, that do this, don't do that could be another voice, couldn't it? may not be the voice of the Holy Spirit. How can we know? Well, if you are in the Word of God, you will know things that are righteous and things that are not righteous, the things that lead to the honor of God. As always, the truth and the authority of the Word of God, 
is where everything is at. That's first place. That's how we understand anything pertaining to the things of God. It's, it's right here. So otherwise, we could just make up things and make it do and say the way we want it, right? Which if you don't go by what the truth is saying and with the Word of God and the Spirit of God, then that's why you have so many different false teachings out there today. By His truth, we know we are led by God's Spirit. How can I know I'm a son of God? Because He's leading me. Can any one of you assert to that today? And if you can't, you're in trouble (laughs) because you are led by the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you are led by Him. Sometimes we take detours and He lets us go down that detour for a little while and we go, whoa, what am I doing here? The Holy Spirit says, come back here. That is going to hurt. It's hurting right now, isn't it? Let's go this way. And so we recognize that's the way to go. By His truth, that is what happens. Turn to Luke 24. This is Jesus talking about the Word of God. Luke 24, 44, 45. That's where it is. He said to them, the... These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. All the prophecies out of the Old Testament, they have to be fulfilled. Do you remember that, he says? Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, were led by the Spirit of God, who gives us understanding of the Word of God. I love that. That's the Emmaus disciples. Remember that? He says, you know, these are my words. Actually, this is dealing with the the Great Commission. But it's the Word of God that that is opened up to us. The Holy Spirit is what gives that understanding. Go to 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. Man, I am really having a tough time talking this morning. And I think a lot of it is whatever's flying around out there. I don't know, do you guys have any kind of allergies going on? I already have enough time. So when it seems like I'm forcing it and I'm really having to speak loud, it's because that's the only way I can talk. Sometimes I can be in a room with one person like Carolyn and I'll be there yelling at her, you know... (laughs) Sounds like that. She's gotten used to it, but uh, I don't know. It'd be hard to get used to all the time. He's a yelling preacher. Well, I never used to be, but I guess I am now. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. An unbeliever cannot understand the Word of God. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't reside in him. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appointed by no one, for who has known the mind of the Lord, that he will instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. Oh, I love that. We start to think more and more the way that God thinks. What's going on in the world? What's our worldview? Well, it's the worldview that God has. 
He loves righteousness. He hates sin. So more and more as we walk in the Lord, we love Him more, and we love His things more, and we hate the things of the world more too. And that is what it is. We, and we have understanding of the truth of the Word of God. That is so valuable. Look at Ephesians 1.17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom. Spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know, look at this, the hope of His calling and what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. That is a prayer, isn't it? That you would want other believers to know that they would have their eyes enlightened and the heart opened up by the Spirit. What's the hope of your calling? And what are the riches of your inheritance? What is going to come? And not only that, but the surpassing greatness of the power toward us. His power He's applying to us who believe. The very power of God is working in us. The power of God saved us. The power of God sanctifies us. The power of God will resurrect us and give us glorified bodies to enter into the very kingdom of God. That is a great prayer, isn't it? That your eyes would be enlightened. That's what I pray for our church and everybody in it every day, or at least try to remember to do that, that everybody would know the hope of your calling. And what all of this is all about. It's just not just spending an hour or so and uh, on a Sunday or Tuesday or whatever and then going back home. It's to know this stuff because this is what lasts. This is eternal, isn't it? Look in Ephesians 3.16. Man, I don't know what uh, kind of encouragement we need besides these kind of verses, right? Verse 16, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory. Not according to 10% of His glory, but the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend, to understand with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Wow! That is powerful. That is a powerful engine put in a vehicle, and the ignition just needs to be turned on. And not always sit there and just listen to it run. Tony, here we go. To back out of the garage, man, and take off with this thing, and knowing full well you can use every bit of that power that you want out on the Autobahn in Germany. Drives fast as you want, all that power, right? <laughs> 
actually we have all the power and we very rarely use the power that's there. It could be dangerous if we did it. But I want to tell you, he wants them to know the power of God that's working in them and what he's got in store for us. Oh, let's, uh, let's stop there for the moment. This is about the whole purpose of God. It really is the whole purpose of God with respect to the world we live in now and to the world that is coming. Know that. Reckon. Think about it. So that's about truth that illuminates by the Spirit of God. That's how you're directed. That's how you're led by the Word of God. Secondly, it's sanctification. It's living the life that we have and it is given to us by the Holy Spirit, the working in us, and He leads us. He acts upon our will. Aren't you glad that we don't live by our own free will? Our own free will would lead us to failure every time. Did you know that He actually persuades us and guides us, determines us the direction that we are to go? He directs us. That's what He's doing when He leads us. I know the way. I already know. And I know what's best for you. Well, that's good to know, isn't it? Sanctification. The whole outlook upon life. Did you know that He's determined that in your heart? It wasn't because, well, I was smart enough to choose God and to go the route that I had. You had no clue, did you? You didn't know where He'd take you. This is where He's taking you right now today. And He's just going to continue to lead you all the way right on to the kingdom of God. Yeah. Um... Galatians 5, 16 and 17. This is our life. He's leading us. But I say, walk by the Spirit. That's live. Live the Spirit. And you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. If you are in the Word of God, and you are in prayer, and you're in fellowship, and you know that you are communing with God, that's walking in the Spirit, living a life whether it is fixing breakfast, driving to work, doing your things that you do throughout the day, whatever it may be, you can still be walking in the Spirit, whatever that is, whatever you do, and you will not have the desire of the flesh. Verse 17 says, For the flesh sets a desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. It's the Spirit of God and the very flesh, right? The desires will be there, and we pray that it's desires of the Holy Spirit. Now look in verse 25, and it says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Living by the Spirit of God. Walking. Okay. How can we know that we are sons of God? First of all, we're led by the Spirit of God through His Word, and He illumines it, and then through sanctification, our walk, 
as we have the Word of God filling us, it's then walking in that. Okay, number one, led by the Spirit of God. When you're led, that means you follow who is ahead of you. Number two, it's called sons of God. You will know that you are sons of God. Uh, let's start off with the negative. Not everyone is a son of God or a child of God. <clears throat> now, there is a universal belief that is throughout the whole world where a lot of people, who are not Christians by the way, would say that we're all sons of God. Everybody. Everybody that was ever born, you're going to have salvation. It's called universalism. And so everybody is a son of God. He created us, so therefore we're all sons of God. And that is a lie. That does not come in Scripture whatsoever. Matter of fact, if we looked at our text today, that's exactly what is being put forth. Uh, but they will call that the universal fatherhood of God. There are plenty of Scriptures that refute that belief. And if we looked at John 8.44 coming straight from the mouth of Jesus, He says this to people who are not converted. Think they are. He says, You are of your father, the who? The devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. Well, he was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar, and look at this, and the father of lies. We're talking about Father God today. And Jesus just blasted who? Satan. He's the father of lies. He's a murderer. And so anybody who's not converted is of the father, the devil. That's their father. Look at uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. Just a good reminder here. <clears throat> Among we too, he's talking about sons of disobedience in verse 2, right at the end, sons of disobedience. Among them we too, us believers, all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature what? children of wrath even as the rest. That's what we were. We were children of disobedience and we were children of wrath. We're, weren't we child of, a child of God at one time? No, you never were until you were converted. Therefore, any unbeliever is a child of wrath, a child of unbelief. They're not a child of God. They're not sons of God. So don't ever believe that as it's being purported by many today. Uh, but we can say this. First of all, we start off with the negative. Not everyone is a son. Here's the positive. All true Christians are sons of God. Daughters of God. Children of God. All Christians are. Just like all Christians have the Holy Spirit, all Christians are sons of God. All believers are. 
In verse 16 of our Romans 8, it talks about children of God. And actually that is saying the same thing as sons of God. Verse 16, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. They're transferable terms. They are interchangeable terms. Now, listen. Throughout Romans, first few chapters, what was it about? Once we saw that we were justified, we were also reconciled to God. We are at peace with God. We are forgiven, right? And you could say, hey, that's enough for me. Man, that feels great. But you know what? God doesn't stop there. You know, being forgiven and being right in God's eyes, I mean, that's fantastic. Justified. It's like being in court and all of a sudden the judge says, not guilty. And you've now been justified. Then you go home, okay, great. I don't go to jail or whatever, right? But this takes on more. We're sons of God. We're in the family. You know, a judge is not going to say, not guilty. And then say, I want you to come home with me and live in our mansion that we have, right? Some judges probably have great homes. We're going to take you in and make it real comfortable for you. That probably usually doesn't happen. But in this case, we are called to be in the family of God. Now look at Galatians chapter 4, and I think it's, we're going to start at verse 5. Galatians after 1st, 2nd Corinthians, you have Galatians. Chapter 4, the first 5. So that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons. God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts crying, Abba, Father, therefore you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is exactly what Romans 8 is saying. He says not only are we sons, but then we also inherit everything that He has. This is totally remarkable. You can't get this anywhere. You couldn't make this up. Okay, now, we've seen we're sons of God. Not everyone is a son. Now we've seen that all children, all, all uh, Christians are children of God. Number three, the meaning of sonship. What does it mean? Uh, well, we've already gotten it. It's not exactly like justification, but it is a legal term. It is like justification in some ways. It's, it's closely associated with it. But adoption here is a legal action. Something that is on the part of God. Because God Himself is the one who adopted us. I want to tell you this. Listen to this. The action that He does in adopting is irreversible. He can't adopt you and then say, Oh, what have I done? (laughs) Boom! Get out of the house, son! 
I'm no longer your father. He cannot do that because that goes against His promise, His character, the very Word of God, the Spirit of God. He cannot do that. And He will not do that. Okay, let's talk about this adoption for a moment. Paul wrote this. He was from the Roman Empire. Paul knows the law very well. And most people would be familiar with the adoption law. I want you to get this. The father in the family back in the Roman times was absolute law. He was power over the whole family. His wife, all of his children, he was power until they died. Now, that's mean, that doesn't mean they can't go out and marry, but he is in charge of everyone in the family. He even had the power, catch this, of life and death. Even after they had been born. If he didn't want them anymore, he could kill them. And he had every right to do that. He said, I cannot believe that. That was law. That was Roman law. He had the power of disposal and control. As I said, you know, when we talk about the Roman Empire, he could take his child's life with absolutely no recourse or no punishment. And in regard to father, a Roman son, could really never come of age in the sense that he is always under the rule of the father. Even if he has left the household, is married, has children, he's still under the rule of that father. And that father could actually be a son of his father and he'd be under rule of him. No matter how old he was, he was still under what is called Patria, which is father, Potestas. So were the daughters, for that matter, all their children. No matter how old they were, they were under absolute control of the father. So that is the situation. Now, when a man would see that there would be a son that he would like to have and like to bring into his own family, that would be very difficult because that father owns that son that he would like to adopt. But let's say a son belongs to another father and this other one wants that one really bad or it is maybe this that child is an orphan, for instance, whatever. You have to go through a very formidable obligation to get that person to pass from the position they're in now to the position in your family. And it was called Patria Potestas. And there were two steps to get one adopted. The first one is called Mansapatio. Or we're known, we know it as emancipation. To actually set them free from under whoever they're uh, under and now to be in another position of being set 
free, emancipated there. Uh, so there would be a legal case for a legal transfer. And so, let's say one father is actually going to adopt from another family. Okay, let's say there's a father that's involved in there and he's willing to let that other, what the next future father be, what he would do is they would go into a, a legal transfer. There would be... Uh, there would be a sale and there would be money involved and he would do it once and the father would take the money and then he would give it back. He'd take back his son. Second step, same thing. Give him money. He refuses to take it or he takes it. or But anyway, and then he's, he gives it back. That's two times. The third time, then they would do it again. And this time, the father would release his son now to the other one who's going to be the new father. This time he didn't buy him back. And Patria, Potesta, is now broken. And so it's through that, then there's a ceremony. That was the first step. The second step is called... Vendicatio, and it means you go to like court again. There's an adopting father, and he goes to the Roman magistrate, and he presents a legal case that this is going to be his son, and this is an actual legal transfer of a person to be adopted into this situation. Now, what happens is you now have the situation where the adoption is done. The child is, or the son, is adopted, and there are consequences because of that. Now, these are good consequences if you look at it. The adopted person, first of all, loses all the rights that he had formerly, number one. He is not in that position anymore, and he's lost the rights. He doesn't go back. He is now fully a legitimate son, right? Number two, he becomes a full heir to the father's estate. That means he's going to get it from his father. He's adopted. He is like the main one now of getting heirship, inheritance. That's number two. You'll notice how you compare these to what happened to you when you were adopted. Number three... According to Roman law, the old life of that adopted person is completely now void. It's wiped out. It's like he never existed before. It's like he's dead to that. Do you see how this compares to us? If he had any debts, canceled out. You see, they could adopt teenagers. They could adopt in the 20s, 30s. If they want them to be the heir and to carry on that family name. Number four, in the eyes of Roman law, 
They are absolutely the son of the new father in every sense of the word. Done deal. Perfected. Completed. All the claims of the past, they're all gone. All the privileges that you now have are yours. We have become heirs to our Father's estate. That is a little bit different back in the Roman times compared to our adoption. Although an adopted child sometimes is taken in just like their own child and they treat them that way and they even give them an inheritance, it is not quite the same because we came from being orphans with nothing, nothing but bad around us, evil. And He took us and brought us into the family of God we are members of that family and awaiting the inheritance as sons of God. You did nothing to earn it. You see, that father, the Roman father, picked that one who that he wanted. That adoptee didn't pick at all. The adopter, or the father, is the one who did all the choosing. And the one who's going to do this giving to the adoptee who had no say in it. What a great thing. This is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Our past has been obliterated, blotted out. And we are absolutely the sons of God. Now, that is the idea of adoption. When Paul wrote this back in those times in the Roman Empire, he knew what adoption was and he applies this to our Romans because where is this letter going to? Rome. Citizens know full well what adoption was and so Paul here in Romans writes this part about adoption. It had to really mean a lot. Number two under that is partakers of the divine nature. Not only we are adopted, but we have a change of nature, folks. We are not like at all what we used to be. We are in Christ. He is in us. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. The Spirit of God dwells in us. We are like Christ. We now have similarities. We have the mind of Christ. We think the way that God thinks. More and more. Not perfectly, but we're thinking more like that. Wow. The likeness of His nature. The nature of God. We're not gods. We'll never be God. But about as close as we can be in the sense of being like related to Him. We're in His family. We're not God, but we have the likeness of His nature. There's a similarity of mind and of outlook. We look at God's standpoint from the aspect of eternity. We see things more than just the way it is right now in this little box. Expand your thinking. Go back before the foundation of the world. Go into the time that you're living in now as you scan across history and you can see God's providence and all of that and even now in your life. 
and in your future in this world and then later on into the very presence of God with our glorified bodies. Wow, the divine nature is there. Look in 1 Peter 1, 4. I can't think of anything more exciting than this. How can this be true? God's Word says it. Spirit of God is telling you, are you ready? To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. Reserved, kept, preserved in heaven for you. It is kept for you, waiting, the ultimate of this. Wow, that is incredible, isn't it? Now go to 2 Peter 1, 4. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Wow. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. We escape that. He's the one that gets us out of that. Partakers of the divine nature. Did you know that God takes a very special interest in each of you? I mean, we have our interest and we really take care of our interests, don't we? Whether it be be other people, children, husband, wife, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. We have special interest in all of them. Well, He has a special interest we can't even describe. I mean, He cares much more than we do for ourselves. Did you know that He's... What, what is He ultimately doing? He's bringing us to glory. That's really where He wants us ultimately. That's where, that's where we're going. That's where we're headed right now. In your mind, think that. He is bringing us the sons of glory to glory. And here's how He's doing it. I'm going to go through these real quick. Discipline. And I'm not going to turn there, but in Hebrews 12 it talks about the Father. A father who loves his sons, his daughters, what does he do? He disciplines them. What does that mean? It means to train. Sometimes we think of spanking and that kind of thing, and it can be that, but usually discipline is teaching. It's training. It's training your your pets. It's training your children. Uh, Training them so that they would come up and live a right kind of life. Uh, You want them to have the right kind of thinking, the right kind of living, that they would represent what you believe in, right? And so you train them. Sometimes that training is something you have to stick with. And sometimes it's hard to do. But parents have an opportunity. Well, we're being disciplined by the Father. But it's a good thing because it shows that He loves. If we didn't discipline our children, that means we would not care about them. 
And that's really what a lot of parents do today. They just let them do anything that they want. Do whatever you want. We don't care. You know, you've got your own life. And that shows me there is no love there for that child because they will turn out any way and every way but the right way. Uh, man, I'm so thankful that my parents disciplined trained me. Number two, a father provides, he gives care to you, and he gives protection. That's what an early father should be doing, and it's true. The father that's in heaven does it much more than that. Number three, the father always is ready to receive us and bless us. Father is blessing us every day. I got up this morning, opened the door, went outside, and there's a breath of fresh air. Just hit me. There's a breeze blowing. And the humidity was not there. And I said, oh my, this is just wonderful. Thank you, Lord. Uh, We may not get that tomorrow or the next day (laughs) for a while. But it's a breath of fresh air. Thank you, Lord. Went out. We went out and sat out in the shade under the swing. And there was a little bit of air coming, I think, out of the south. And it was cool. And it just was cool just sitting in there taking in the things of the Lord. You know, He's blessing us constantly, isn't He? He's always blessing us with food and water and breath that we have and our places where we live, our vehicles, and just living the life. We Sure, we get a lot of things that come against us, but I'll tell you what, these blessings are much more than all the different things we have to battle all the time. And I know a lot of us here are... Uh, battling things that we really are wondering how long are these bodies going to last? <laughs> you know, different things. But He's blessing us, folks. He's blessing us. And He gives us access to Him always. He says, you're always welcome. And by the way, He doesn't say, you know, just knock on the door. You just come busting into the door. By the way, He doesn't even have a door there. He just, <laughs> boom, we just said, come right in. He's always there. Access. Please do. This is what we're about. Okay, so we've done two parts. Led by the Spirit of God and then sons of God. Are you guys feeling like sons of God? Well, that's a proof that you are His. Because when you're in the family, you know it. No ifs, ands, or buts. You are His. Now, Number three says that in Romans, back to our Romans 8. Is that where we've been? Romans 8. Okay, let, let's check. Where's Dennis? Where's he coming from? Well, we have to look at 14. For all you who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Okay, led, sons of God, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which you cry out, Abba. Well, we'll take the first half of 14 uh, or 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. Uh, when you were uh, a, a non-Christian before, you were slaves. You were slaves of the flesh, the world, the devil. You were really slaves of sin, Right? We're no longer slaves of sin. And haven't we been saying that all through Romans? Especially when we get into chapter 6 and 7 and 8, we're no longer slaves. We're sons in the family of God. 
And the service that we do in the kingdom of God is not compared to slavery, is it? It's something that we look forward to. We love to go out and uh, you know, bring people to Christ or be able to uh, edify others. That's life. I mean, just living, living the Christian life. Um, so, we don't compare it to slavery. Uh, what we do is compare it to adoption. And we've already been introduced to that, and now we get into that a little bit deeper. Um, for you have not received a spirit of slavery. By the way, the, the spirit there is a little S. And it's not the, uh, being uh, slaves of the Holy Spirit. You've not received this spirit of slavery leading to fear again. That's what we did. We lived in fear. We've been set free and no longer should we as Christians have fear. Don't be anxious what tomorrow will bring you. Right? Don't be anxious. It's okay. I care about every hair on your head. Even the sparrow that falls. I know about that. I care about that, he says. There's no reason to fear. And then he says, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons. Spirit of adoption. God could have stopped with justification. God could have stopped with reconciliation, with forgiveness. But He didn't. He graced us with adoption. We've already known that we've got new liberties. We are free. We are free in Christ. We have new privileges. We have access to the very throne room of God and we have a Father who is very tender. He watches over us. He cares. He's tender. We have protection. We have provision. We have perseverance through Him. Ephesians 1.5 Oh, what promises these are. You guys don't even feel like you're being ripped to shreds today, do you? It's kind of hard to be in Romans 8. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will to the praise of the glory of His grace which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. You notice how verse 5 started off? He predestined us, which means to predetermine. He marked out beforehand that we'd be adopted as sons. That was His plan to bring us into the family. Long before we were ever born, long before there was ever a world, He already had that in His mind. It was going to happen like that. Look in Galatians 4, which we read earlier, but it goes right along with our Romans verse 5, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because your sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son, Christ, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Sums up Romans 8. Not only given a new nature, we're members of the household of God with the adoption. We must believe this. We must be conscious of this. We must even feel it. You notice it talked about the love of God. Feel it. All of this is objective, first of all. 
How do you know this to be true? Well, the Word of God says it. But number two is subjective. And that leads us in to C of number three. On your outlines of using them. Abba, Father. The most important term for God, I believe, is Father, Daddy. It's His personal name is Yahweh, which means He is the self-existent one. He's the covenant God who makes promises to us, and that is a super name of God. That is His name, Yahweh, Lord. But this is the most dearest term you could ever have. Abba. Father. It's an Aramaic word for Father. It's like Daddy or Papa. Papa, Papa. If you go over to Jerusalem and you're out in the streets, you see a little boy or a little girl and they're three years old or something and they see something and they want to, you know, Daddy, to see what they're seeing. They say, Daddy, Daddy. Then they'll actually say, Papa, Papa. Or actually, Abba, Abba. Abba, Abba. It's the most dearest term that you've ever heard. Whenever the first time that you ever hear as a parent, Daddy or Mama, it puts a smile across your face that you'll never, ever get rid of. In a sense, it's like, oh, that's beautiful, isn't it? That's my own. Well, He is so tender. It's a word of love. It's a word of trust. It's a word of intimacy. Those kids know how intimate it is. They are so close to you. And they know they can trust in you that you're never going to do anything that's going to hurt them. They trust you absolutely. They're totally dependent upon you. It's a very personal word. Daddy. The Holy Spirit frees our hearts from the fear of God's judgment. And that's how we know we're sons. You remember Jesus, before He died... He called, you know, and he, you know, he's take this cup from me, but he called him Abba, Father, Mark fourteen thirty six. Jesus, the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, is saying Abba, Father. And you know what? That's how we know we are sons because the Spirit in us is crying out, Abba, Father. We are crying out that He is that. Verse 16, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Not only the Word of God says it, but there's a confidence that you have. And you know the adoption ceremony, it had seven witnesses there. Why is that? Well, in case anything ever happened and the father may have died or the son may have tried to claim his rights, the family might have moved against him. But he has the rights to make sure they have seven witnesses and maybe one or two of those could pass away. So they make sure to verify and there are many and varied people's ideas and so you have all these witnesses in case somebody makes a false claim or somebody says, hey, I'm the true son of him. 
And one of the witnesses says, no, you're not. I was there and you were not Him. You are not the Son. You were never adopted. Did you know that the Holy Spirit, whenever Satan comes in and tries to condemn you, the Holy Spirit is testifying before the Father that you are His Son. You like that? Of course, Christ is saying, hey, I died for them. Right? You know what? He is witnessing with our spirit that we are the sons of God. The Spirit comes along our spirit, the Holy Spirit does. Do you belong to God? My theology secures me. My belief is, yes, I'm a son of God because here's what the Word of God says. And I have a deep-seated confidence because the Spirit of God here is saying, yes, you are His. He doesn't want us to go around thinking we're not in His family. Where does it come from? The Holy Spirit. He is a gift that comes to us. Abba, Father. I only need to cry out to Him. He listens to me. He gladly helps me whenever I need Him the worst. Whenever I am in the worst physical sense or spiritual sense, we cry out, Abba, Father. Even at our low points. And even at our high points, Abba, Father. This is Father's Day. And I'm so thankful for the obvious Father and the fathers that God gave us. Whether they reflect You, Lord, we don't know. But we know they give us a sample. May we, here now as we pray, may we thank the Lord for this Word of Truth that we got today. Father, Father, Abba, Daddy, Papa, You are our Father. And we cannot think of anything higher of position than being a child of the King. Lord, thank You so much for reminding us this. You could hold it all back and just say You're forgiven and then have nothing else revealed to us. But why do we want more of You? It's because of what You revealed. We want You more and more because, Lord, You are our Father and we want to be just like Your Son because that is what You are doing right now on in until the time of Christ coming back. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.